0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at slash with Amex.
1: This is the Straight Up Breakdown
0: Podcast, exclusively on the Heard Media Network. I'm
1: here. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome to the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hail Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith, your I, mm. where the hell is time going friend? Like, I, I feel like. Two things happen at the open of this show each week. One, I lament the weather um, in some shape or form, or two, I don't understand where time is going uh, because I feel like I look up and, and it's already almost halfway through August, or August. God, I don't even know what month it is. Uh, October. Joining me today is writer-at-large of Hailvarsity.com magazine, Derek Peterson. Derek, thank you for being back on the show. How are you, man? Do you have an understanding of time?
0: No, not since, like... March of 2020. No, I'm, I'm okay. How are you?
1: Uh, pretty good. Um, still trying to make sense of, of what we saw on Saturday, uh, as we were kind of talking about before we, we started recording. Well, we will get to that um, here in a second. But first, the thing I always, whenever I have you on, I feel like I have to talk NBA um, because you, you got a wealth of knowledge about the NBA. Plus, I mean, we got we to throw some Lakers stuff in here. And... It kind of tangentially relates to Russell Westbrook, so I'm kind of hitting the notes as we found out on. Oh, it like
0: it like full on relates to Russell Westbrook. It's like <laughs> right because yeah, like you because you want to ask me about the Lakers who lost by thirty to the Suns. That was a preseason game, sure, but it, it, I mean, it full on relates to Russell Westbrook.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, so I mean, and now since you're like, uh, I, you told me last time I said this that honorary Laker fans too strong. So I, I, we're not going to call you an honorary Laker fan at this point. You're just kind of dipping your toe into the water as you cheer for us. Is that fair?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm fine being an honorary Lakers fan. Um, the Thunder were on ESPN. What was that? Sunday night. And it was like a 30-point game after the first 15 seconds. So, like, I got to have another team to talk about. So, I'll I'll, I'll root for the Lakers.
1: Yeah, we'll tell you, it might be a a little bit before you get to see anything good, and that's where we're actually going to start, because each week we have a couple of segments that are mainstays of the show. Uh, The first one is called Coach Speak, where we go over something that a coach player or talking head said, and then we give you the straight-up breakdown of what they meant. Uh, This week comes courtesy of Lakers star, uh, I guess center is what I should call him now, Anthony Davis, who said this after uh, that 30-point loss in a preseason game, albeit, Uh, To Jacob's Phoenix Suns, quote, we want to be good, but we don't want to skip steps. You can't rush the process of what we're trying to do and win championships, Davis said. We know possibly there could be struggles to start the season, but we never want to get out to a slow start. 0-5, 0-6, whatever. We still want to be able to fight through our mistakes while winning games. Derek, what does that mean?
0: Great. Anthony Davis is speaking directly to you (laughs) with this quote. It's an impassioned plea to you, Laker fan, Laker fan Greg, sure. that they are going to start this season 0-6. But I you mean, just have to bear with it. It's, I feel it's like a, he was prepping me. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. He's telling you, hey, we got problems, and it's going to take some time to sort these problems out. So they won the championship two seasons ago, and they've completely changed their team in both off-seasons since.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is they basically a, this is, changed everything twice. Yeah. This is
0: another brand new team. And, it, and like, it all comes back to Russ because when they were not a good team before they won the championship, it was all about, well, they don't have enough shooting around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And then when they won the championship, it was because they had a phenomenal defense and that lack of shooting didn't really matter because Kentavious Caldwell Pope went absolutely berserk in the bubble, bubble and then key. last year they didn't have enough shooting. They lose Alex Caruso. They trade away Contavious. Well, they had injuries last year too. They trade away Caldwell Pope. They trade away Kyle Kuzma. Um, they let somebody else walk. Wesley Matthews walked. They lost another guy. I want to say they lost another guy, Bad and please. then oh, he's not. I'm thinking of Montrezl Harrell. Never mind. Okay, so he's he's not worth mentioning because he's not a shooter. And they replace those guys with Russell Westbrook, DeAndre Jordan, and they bring back Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard is fine as a big guy off the bench, but they are playing. This was, I mean, the starting lineup against the Phoenix Suns. Now, I get it was a preseason game and LeBron wasn't out there, but the starting lineup with a team that features a a 32-year-old, 34, whatever age Russell is now, over the hill, past his prime, Russell Westbrook. The starting lineup was Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Anthony Davis, and DeAndre Jordan next to Russell Westbrook. I don't understand why, like teams continue to do this to Russell Westbrook, and like it's like it's like people are, it's like the the Olympic Mellow thing. They're like, well, if we can get that guy, but he's not that guy, and he's not going to be <laughs> that guy. It's right. well, if West if Westbrook can just not take thirty shots a game, that's what he's going to do. That's what he's done his entire career. You have taken. And I love Russell Westbrook. You know this. Everybody that knows me knows that I love Russell Westbrook and will defend him until my dying breath. But at the same time, he is one of the worst shooters in basketball. And so you took one of the worst shooters in basketball and you put him next to LeBron James, who needs the ball to be effective. And Anthony Davis, who probably wants to be a little bit closer to the rim than just doing the Kristaps Porzingis stand in the corner and shoot threes and then block shots at the other end. And, oh, by the way, Frank Vogel wants to play a traditional center next to Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis doesn't want to play full-time center. This doesn't work. This roster construction doesn't work. And for them to get it to work, it's going to take time. (laughs) So they're they're going to look bad to start the season. And Anthony Davis is telling you, Laker fan Greg, right now, you need to prepare yourself for the fact that we're not going to look good for like the first quarter of the season. This is going to be like a team that's like a a four, five, six seed in the playoffs that nobody wants to play because it took them the first, you know, month and a half, two months of the season to actually figure out what's going to work, which lineups work together and probably make a trade to swap out one of these pieces that doesn't actually fit.
1: Yeah, and then the, in addition to all of that, which um, is, is not great, um, THT, Taylor Horton Tucker, has a torn ligament in his right thumb. Um, and uh, after surgery, I assume he's going to need some time to recover from that. Um, Trevor Ariza, who was one of those guys that they brought in, um, also is injured. I think Malik Monk also is now, has a, has a right groin strain. Um, like, basically what happened was, is that so not it's, it's so awful because it's really the worst case scenario for what they needed to happen what you said about the shooting is true but every guy that they brought in then to be those shooters is hurt like they're all hurt right now i think except for was it Bazemore that we said wasn't yeah, starting line yeah, yeah but yeah but you're I mean, you're to be like the 11th man
0: your so, your shooters that you brought in are malik monk he's okay it's malik monk you brought in <laughs> You brought back Rondo, which was which is r- remarkable. If he plays, uh, Kendrick Nunn is one of your shooters. I'm forgetting that he exists. I I believe like played his way out of the rotation in Miami. Um, Wayne Ellington is your best shooter. Wayne Ellington, he shot one of five against Phoenix from three. Wayne Ellington is your best shooter. Kent Bazemore started a preseason game for you. I mean, I mean maybe he doesn't start regular season, but if Kent Bazemore is starting regular season games for you. I don't want any part of being an honorary Lakers fan. I don't want that. Oh, I don't, are I, don't you out already? <laughs> I don't want that stress in my life. I have to watch Poku play with the Thunder and us get blown out by 35 points in the, in the first five minutes of the game. I don't need the stress of Kent Bazemore starting next to Russell Westbrook in the backcourt of my life. I don't need it. We've lost oh, you, you already. You need, you need Alex Caruso.
1: Oh, I miss Alex Caruso. I saw him make a nice play for the Bulls um, and Lakers Twitter was like lovingly retweeting it. It was all over my timeline and people were like pining for Alex Caruso. I do miss him.
0: How do you feel about the Chicago Bulls? Because you're obviously a guy that's from Chicago and the Chicago team now has Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, two former Lakers guys. They also have Zach Levine who like, I don't think I've ever met somebody that didn't like Zach Levine. You might criticize his game i'm sure jacob probably has critiques of his game but like i don't i've never met somebody that didn't like zach levine this feels like an all-time like you just want the bulls to be i just want the bulls to have a good season man i they i they, they deserve it those fans deserve it that's what this team feels like
1: they really do. Um, and I, I think that'd be pretty good. Like play, I think they make the playoffs this year. Um, I don't know, like if they're a, a real threat by any major, like, no, but um, they should be a lot of fun at the very least. Like that should be a team that can get up and down the court and really like have some fun. Like, but, the, but it's also one of those things, too, where the fan base, you mentioned them, like they've been so loyal over the years through some rough ups and downs, like some really good spots, and kind of those Derek Rose, Tibbs years, um, but also some really lean years where it just seems like the front just can't figure out anything. Like you just don't, like I, I feel like I've spent so much of my time watching the Bulls, um, obviously post Jordan, like trying to figure out what exactly their plan is because How they dare. never they never also get like that that little bit of luck to get a big superstar in the draft save for Derrick
0: Rose. Well, it's also the the Lakers thing that I mentioned before that it's a new team every single year. It's like it's like a completely new team. Also, when you were talking about the good days recently for Chicago, they've had good days and they've had lean days. You mentioned good days with Derrick Rose. How dare you not mention the trifecta of Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler, and Rajon Rondo coached by <laughs> your boy, Fred Hoiberg. How dare you omit that wonderful, beautifully chaotic one year <laughs> run with the Chicago bulls.
1: It, it was definitely something. <laughs> it was, it was definitely something that, that had the potential to be a really fun storyline. And now I feel like people just kind of scrubbed it out of their brains that Dwayne Wade had that time with Chicago.
0: It was great and he was with cleveland for a little bit too yeah
1: like his career is just so interesting like about how that goes and i think and i hope that this doesn't happen um and we've now gotten to a tangent on on dwayne wade um but i hope that he's not forgotten like as we go as we move further away from his time
0: his like, uh, i feel
1: like he's going to be
0: his sorry I'm i'm just completely derailing this podcast his um departure from miami and 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 foray into cleveland chicago kind of like northern area of markets was like the ultimate breakup i'm just gonna go be with somebody that's just gonna piss you off like that's what that was and i love it i loved every second of it it was great and then they made up at the end
1: yeah then they made up and it was cool and it was back to wade county and we were all good so that, that's fine um, but yeah, that, it'll be fascinating to me to see how, like, he's kind of remembered in the history of the NBA and just kind of going through, um, because I, I, he was so great. Like his peak was just so, so good, but he also played at a time with like other, like mega mega stars and played with one of them um not that he wasn't a big-time player in his own right but yeah that's gonna be interesting but Dwayne Wade is not why we the main reason why we're here the main reason hey wait can I say
0: one more thing before we move on to football can I say (laughs) one more thing Dwayne Wade won an NBA championship without LeBron James so he did but you know remember that Dwayne Wade I remember it 2006 Dwayne Wade won an NBA championship without really I mean, I guess he had Shaq, but like Shaq was was trending down maybe at that point. He was or at at the very last little bit of his superpower. Like, hey, man, LeBron has needed superstar teammates next to him his entire career just to win a championship. Dwayne Wade didn't need that. I'm just saying. Maybe he's the GOAT. I'm just saying. I I
1: cannot believe that you're going there (laughs) right now, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm going to let you have the last word on that. No, you know,
0: I know. You know how I feel. Michael Jordan is the GOAT. (laughs)
1: Oh, cool. Are you contractually obligated to say that now <laughs> that you decided to do
0: it? No, I don't believe that. I'm just trying to push your buttons.
1: I, I'm upset with you right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I have to transition somehow to football. Uh, so we're just going to clumsily do this. Let's break that down. Football. Um, the football overall was great over the weekend. There's a lot of good football um, out there. One thing that was not so great for Nebraska's perspective uh, was them taking the thirty. 30- 32 to 29 lost to Michigan. Um, first things first, I've got to say this off top. Like, I, everyone expected the atmosphere of at Memorial Stadium to be amazing uh, for that game. It lived up to the heights and then some. It was great in there. When, when Nebraska took that lead with what, seven minutes left to go, like it, it was very, very loud. Like, Mike Babcock, who works for the Zale varsity, leaned over to me and like, It's very loud in here. Like, yeah, yeah, it it is really, like, very, like, extremely loud. Fans are very into it. And then kind of what happened the last seven minutes happened. Um, And so, Derek, you wrote a really good column, I thought, on HillVarsity.com titled, Here at Nebraska, it's the waiting that's the hardest part. I want to start here. Um, It's a little odd, but I'm going to have to do it anyway. What was the crux? And you should go read the full thing. What was the crux of the article that you wrote? Because I think that you put you're going to say it better than I will about kind of what you are getting at the heart of the matter is right now with Nebraska football.
0: So the, the first line from that column is that this Nebraska football viewing experience is, is basically an exercise in cognitive dissonance because like, and I'll say it like this, I have, I have waffled throughout this entire season on Scott Frost's future success with Nebraska football. And after the Illinois game, I was like, what are we doing here? After, and, and I and I think I wrote this column. I wrote the column after the Oklahoma game. I was like, you know what? Like, Some people will look at this and say, hey, they hung tough with the number three team in the country on the road. I look at it and, and said, like, they should have won this football game. And they didn't for the same reasons that they keep losing all of these other football games. And here we are three weeks later, and they lose another football game that they should have won for – inexplicable reasons and the 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 hardest part with nebraska right now is i believe after watching saturday that scott frost is the right coach for this team now maybe that opinion changes five more times before the season ends because that's just the way that this football team is but i believe right now after saturday that scott frost is the right coach for this football team you just look at the way that they played against michigan I had feelings against Oklahoma where it was like, yeah, they're in this game, but they're not really in this game because they're doing anything exceptionally well. They're in this game because Oklahoma is just not playing well. Against Michigan, I was like, well, they're in this game because Scott Frost is in his bag. Matt Lubick and Scott Frost called a a really good game. I thought the defense played exceptionally well once again not exceptionally. They gave up 32 points. The defense played well once again. They got a turnover. They they did things they didn't have that like critical special teams error or that oh my god, what are you doing moment on special teams. Right. And I just think about watching this team this uh, watching A Scott Frost team in 2018 go on the road against Michigan and just get the doors blown off and look like they don't belong on the same field. And Scott Frost say after the game, this is this is rock bottom for us. Now you fast forward to to this weekend and progress is undeniable. It it is they have they are undeniably a better football team today than they were when they played Illinois at the start of the season, than they were last year, than they were the year before, than they were in 2018. Undeniable. They're a better football team. And in in places that matter in Big 10 play, they look like a Big 10 team, which is which is good. You go into the, the the end of this five game schedule, or the the end of the schedule, they got five games. They needed to win three of them to make a bowl game. They sit at three or four right now. They play Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Iowa. And I think I got the order messed up, but those are the five yeah. teams. Yeah. So unless they're pulling an upset of Ohio State or Iowa, they have to go three and o against Minnesota, Wisconsin, Purdue. Can you confidently say they will go three and o? Maybe not. Can you say, can you convince yourself that Nebraska can beat any of those five teams on on its remaining schedule? Probably. Maybe not Ohio State. But you look at like the way that Iowa is winning football games right now, it doesn't seem sustainable. And you look at the way Nebraska's playing and you say, you know what, if Adrian doesn't turn the ball over, maybe they have a chance. And against Wisconsin, sure. Yeah, I could see it. Obviously against Minnesota and Purdue, the Minnesota's bipolar. Purdue is kind of – I don't really know what to make of them. The, it's like you, you, look at, you look at the remaining schedule and you say, I could totally see it. I, they could win four of those games. They, they could get to a bowl game. They could be a 7-5 and five team. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. They haven't done that yet. They haven't strung together consecutive wins. I don't think they have three consecutive wins in the Frost tenure. I don't they think do, – They do not. They do not. So, like, you're, you're. I feel like the fan base, as a Nebraska fan, you're constantly grappling with, I see the reason for hope and optimism, and I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I see what that bright day is going to look like when we finally get there. I just don't know how much longer we're going to have to wait until we get there. I don't know how much more of this I'm going to have to endure before we get to the fun stuff. It seems like one of those situations where once it turns, it's going to turn in a big way, which is something that Frost has said. They are a good football team and they just continue to lose weight, lose games in ways that are not befitting of good football teams. And I don't know how to square those two things, but I still feel like Frost is the guy. And so there's just this like, you're just like playing mental gymnastics, trying it to is, un- understand what's going on with them.
1: It's they befuddling is the word that keeps coming to mind when I when I think about how to kind of explain this. And I think mental gymnastics is the correct way to kind of think about it. And so is that first line of that column because I don't I totally agree with you that this is a, it's a fundamentally better team. Like it just it is. And there's no way to say, and and, and it lines up perfectly because of the 2018 Michigan game and it being Michigan again this week, just to do a a quick eyeball comparison from what you saw in 2018 versus what you saw tonight or tonight on Saturday night and say, yeah, Nebraska is a much better team and they're much more prepared both physically and emotionally, mentally to hang in these games now but they're not winning them. But on the other hand, it's also hard for me to square, and I, and I posted this to someone over the weekend where I said, it's also hard for me to square saying on one hand that Nebraska has to start winning these games. At some point, you have to win more games to show that you need your coaching staff needs to stay around, essentially, if we're going to cut straight to it. But on the other hand, it's also hard to say, Yeah, when we say they need to win, quote, these games, we're also talking about games against top 10 teams. So we're asking them to go from not being able to make bowls to being able to knock off top 10 teams. And the gap there, the things that you like normally have to do in the middle on the way to that, we're basically really wanting them to skip over that. And while that might just be the situation that they're in because of all the losses that have piled up before, that's still a tough ask. Like, it's really difficult. So like, even when we look at the the, um, remainder of the schedule and say, yes, I, in theory, I could, they could go four and one down the stretch would be a tall task. That's also including at this point, the number two team in the country. But to do that, you've either got to knock off Ohio State or Iowa. Both are top 10 teams in the country. And like that's now the bar that you're trying to hold them to. And to me, it's it's difficult. And I'm not saying that all to make an excuse for them because they like like Nebraska and Scott Frost has painted themselves really in this corner because of the things that have happened, even just in this season. That Illinois loss, if that's not on the ledger we're talking about a totally different thing. If you find a way to, hey, you still lose the OU game, but you had won that Michigan State game that you definitely should have won, we're having a whole different discussion, right? But that's not where we are, and that's part of the problem. Like, it's just, and I don't know when When we say, okay, you came away from it saying that Frost is the guy. Are they losing these games because of coaching and can he not get them over that hump? And that hump being how, figuring out how to win these one-score games, which I, I apologize, I don't have, I cannot remember the number off the top of my head of what their like very bad record is in these one-score games. I had but that like, in
0: my column. They're five and sixteen in games decided by eight points or less. I
1: should have kept scrolling. I actually read that, and I can't remember five and sixteen. Five and sixteen.
0: Sixteen. I had a bunch of records in there. Yes, yeah, so and there we go.
1: There you go. Thank you for bailing me out. Like that's like is that like what's what's the blame for that? Like and that to me kind of also is the answer to what you do at the end of the year. um But also, it depends on what ends up happening down the stretch of the season.
0: So here's where I think you look at what Trev Alberts has said, and y- y- you might have an answer. Already to that question, I, you, you talk about, okay, you need to hit benchmarks X, Y, and Z. And then we will say, yep, you have done what we asked you to do. Congrats. You get to keep your job. The first benchmark for Nebraska is make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Win six wins, win six games. You could make the argument that Nebraska is like five plays away from being six and one right now. You could make the argument that Nebraska is a bowl-caliber team without a bowl-caliber record. And when you're in a place where the benchmark, the thing you're trying to reach is make a bowl game, be a 6-6 and team, get bowl eligibility, that basically means you are not that team right now. Show improvement and grow into that team. Nebraska's done that. They just don't have six wins, and maybe they don't get six wins. And I, I, I don't want this to come off as excuse making. That's not what I'm trying to do. Like they have, Trev Aberts wanted to see growth. Nebraska fans want to see a competitive team in games that matter. The last time Nebraska was on ABC in front of a primetime night crowd, they got absolutely embarrassed by Ohio State. The game was over within five five minutes. This time they legitimately had a fourth quarter lead on a team that to that point had not once trailed in the season and they had not one but two chances at the end of the game to go win the game and that's where all of the problems lie is at the end of the game with a chance to go win the game and i had this in a column 2 weeks ago after the michigan state thing they at that point had been i believe 15 possessions in the last four minutes of a game, let me try to pull this up. I think the number was 15.
1: It's either 15 or 16 because I think that
0: with the ball in the last four minutes of the game in regulation or in overtime with a chance to either tie the game or take the lead. They've had 15 different possessions under Scott Frost. They have failed to score a point on 14 of those possessions. So now you add in the two that they had against Michigan at the end, the one that, that started with three minutes left and then the one that they got at the very end uh, after Michigan kicked the field goal. So you're up to 17. You have one possession out of 17 that has produced points. That was 2019 against Northwestern when you won 13-10. Noah Vedro was your quarterback. Wanda Robinson was the guy that got you into field goal range. Lane McCallum, who was an emergency safety turned kicker, was the one that hit the field goal.
1: What a day that was.
0: Uh, Up until the Michigan game, I don't have the numbers for the Michigan game in front of me, but up until the Michigan game on those 15 possessions, Nebraska was averaging 3.8 yards per play. It had an 8.8% sack rate. The national average in the last full season of college football was 7%. So Nebraska was above the national average for sack rate. And they've thrown five interceptions. Now you have this fumble and then you have you know, I've seen people um, sort of second-guessing, questioning the the screen call on third down, the, the the fade on fourth down. I wrote about that in my column. I'm not terribly bent out of shape over those. You can't fumble the football. You had three minutes on the clock. All you had to do was drive down to get a field goal. The, the second down pass to Levi Falcon on the crossing pattern that, that he just missed, that Adrian just missed, he had pressure in his face. I understand that he wasn't able to step into the throw. You have to hit that. He gets – if you hit that pass, Levi Falk gets you in a field goal range on that play, and then you can kind of salt away the clock. But he misses it, and then you, you – you, I mean, you, you can't fumble the football. And, like, this is, the, this is the part where it's, like, so hard to evaluate, well, should Frost keep his job, should Frost not keep his job? Because if you look at the replay from – I guess if you're looking at Adrian's face as he's running into the pile – you can see there's the replay angle that they have where you can see the back judge running in, putting his whistle to his lips as Adrian is fumbling the ball. We're talking about like the, like nanoseconds of time.
1: Right.
0: And, and that is just a, a perfect illustration of what Nebraska's margin for error is and has been. And like, I, like a new coach, how, how does a new coach fix that? Like one of the, the biggest issues is Adrian Martinez has not come up big in any of these moments. And that's not to say that he's a bad quarterback because I wrote in this column and I will defend it. I think he's the best quarterback in the big 10. If you put him on, on Ohio state's offense behind Ohio state's offensive line, how close to CJ Stroud's numbers is he, Is he coming probably pretty close. And he has the, the, the ground element to his game. He's just a, he's a good quarterback and he's a good leader, but he continues to fail in the biggest situations of games and Nebraska loses. And, like, I don't think that's something where you change quarterbacks and you fix the problem. I don't think it's something where you change a head coach and you fix the problem. I think it's just something we have to just, like, wait for them to figure it out, which is insane.
1: It it is, but it's also a situation of – going back to something we said kind of at the beginning of the discussion, which is, like, how long do you wait for that to happen? Like, it's just – I, I, it's so tough, man. And that's why I a loss of words be, on that particular point, because it's difficult to say, well, it's been four years of Scott Frost. Let's say for the sake of this part, this part of the discussion, they don't make a bowl game this year. And so you go four years at Nebraska. What you, are you, you're holding up five, you go five game, you go five years. In no, I'm saying if year, you, if
0: you don't make a bowl game, that's five straight seasons without, yeah, without appearing five, in the post. Yeah. And then that's five
1: yeah. straight years for Nebraska. And then you get into kind of like, it becomes really difficult of a pitch on the recruiting trail. And when they're already behind um, with the 22 group, that's going to be small. Then you kind of are in a really tough spot for 23. Like there, there's just become some more things that you have to consider there. If they don't go to a bowl game this year, but, um, and so that, but, and I, and I, but we'll, I think we'll have plenty of time for that part of the discussion. Where I want to go back to, though, is the Adrian Martinez part of it, because he is so clearly good enough to not just keep Nebraska in games, but lead them back in games like he did this past Saturday. But there is just always something missing. Like there's all, because there is always some sort of danger lurking that always presents itself. And it can be different stuff, <laughs> and it and it seems like, and it's funny because you you said he comes up short in those big moments, and how? And my first reaction, though, honestly, was kind of like, no, I've seen in my mind, I've seen like the big plays from Adrian Martinez, but if you really think about it, those big plays are never that last drive. Like it's no. never it's never the ones at the end. Like there there's a whole bunch in the third quarter. Like, there's a, there's a lot there's of. There's a bunch
0: of early fourth, mid fourth moments yeah. where, where, where you see that from him. And still, he's eighth nationally in QBR, and he's second nationally in terms of expected points added. So, like, you, you look at him from an analytical standpoint, he, he is producing, he is, I mean, his turnovers are down.
1: You know, from what they have been, a, uh, the the ones that you can picture have been at bad times or led to really bad results.
0: That's the problem. But that's, <laughs> that's the problem. But, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but aside from that, how's the play this watch, they're like, yes, it, yeah, that is the actual problem. Yeah, you know?
0: and it's you know it's one of those things where what, uh, what do you, what do you what do you what do you do to fix it? Because because the problem was, well, Adrian, we can't have you turning the ball over as much as you have. Well, he's not but now he's just, they're just coming instead of coming kind of throughout the game, they're coming at the worst time in the game. And, you know, the other thing that Trevor Alberts needs to consider and, and will consider is that this football team continues to have just absolutely soul crushing, heartbreaking moments. And they come back out the week, a week later, like it just never happened. And that's, that, that, that's, that speaks to Frost and his coaching staff and his captains.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My yeah. dog agrees with me. <laughs> that's right, Bruce. So, like, I do agree with that. I do think that there's something to be said about the way that they keep bouncing back, which is what actually gives me hope for this coming season – or this coming season, this coming week – Um, against Minnesota in which you know uh, my immediate reaction right after that game is I'm standing on the field and I'm watching these guys come off the field and they're looking crushed. Um, My immediate thing was like, oh, I I don't know how these guys are going to get back up for a sleepy 11 o'clock game in Minnesota against a team who's not quite as good as they had been, even though there's a little bit of stuff there when it comes to – I don't want to say rivalry, but I will say like the team's –
0: there's friction there oh, like fan these, bases hate each other
1: yeah like, there's, like the there's coaches some,
0: hate each other
1: <laughs> yeah and, and especially <laughs> the fan base thing i don't quite even like i think the fan base thing is because it's picking up on the coach animosity um and that kind of fuels that but yeah there's something there like and then there's the thing i like, can and we're recording this monday afternoon this week so like frost has already talked in his monday press conference and he mentioned Kind of the thing uh, uh, was it two years ago now, where they weren't tough enough. Nebraska was not tough enough, and they had guys that it was spitting rain, and there were guys that didn't want to play, and that sort of thing. And so he's got a grown-up team now. Hoodie Gate, um, Hoodie Gate was born Hoodie-gate. from that. Um, but then to kind of further drive that point home, you have last year's game, which as it's funny, the Hoodie Gate comes up quite a bit. But I think last year's game is the one to me that showed the difference in the two programs, especially where they were at those particular times where, you know, Minnesota is basically held together by duct tape and they basically have no guys out there playing um, and still come to Lincoln and beat Nebraska like that. So those sorts of things kind of fuel a little animosity um, in that. But all that being said, I kind of liked what I heard from Nebraska's players. At, like right after the game, they took a pretty good amount of time to come back out and talk to us. And then they got to gather themselves, and then today, in talking to people, it felt like they would bounce back. Ty Robinson's in particular, was saying that he's ready. Excuse me for another bite at the apple. He's ready to go ahead and get back to some more Big Ten football. And the resiliency of this team especially on that defense, I think is noteworthy. And you have to, you almost have to attribute that to the coaching staff and leadership. Now that is present on this team that especially the leadership was not there previously.
0: Yeah. The, um, the 2020 game, I, I think is, is an indictment. That team didn't know what it was, particularly offensively. That was, And that was one of the the criticisms all season long last year was what is Nebraska's identity? What are they on offense? What are they going to be able to hang their hat on? What are they going to be able to do consistently? And I I think to Frost's credit, I think they've found answers for that this season Um, because like you think about the the 2020 game and, and Minnesota comes in like 40 guys short or something absurd like that because of COVID. And it's like, well, they've got the worst run defense in the country one of the worst run defenses in the country and they're shorthanded because of covid just run the ball down their throat and nebraska couldn't do it and wouldn't do it and like it, it i think <laughs> she's not I, she wasn't happy about she it i'm telling this, you she wasn't happy about it i, I, I watched it with her she was not happy
1: this is two weeks in a row where i've had someone's dog go nuts in the middle of the pot, <laughs> and it's now just become a thing like i need like some sort of like dog sponsorship, like Petco, somebody come through with that sponsor. I'm I'm here for you. My email and my DMs are open. Continue. (laughs)
0: Um, If, if that Minnesota team was the one that Nebraska was playing this Saturday, like Nebraska would just take it to them, I think. And, you know, to, to Frost's credit, they have found stuff that we have seen them repeat and build off of successfully like the orbit triple option thing that they have going that we've seen like that, (laughs) that we've seen grow in, in terms of, of their playbook or their game plan over the last few weeks. Um, that's something that they're finding success with that they're building off of. And they have a legitimate downfield passing game. And that was something that they didn't have a year ago. That's something that they've struggled to have. Adrian has guys that he has confidence throwing the ball up to, um, and like you know, that goes down to that goes back to the, the fourth down play at the end of Michigan. Like Michigan brought zero blitz. You know, should they have rushed the play? Should they have waited? I don't know. But you know, Adrian did probably what you would do six or seven times out of ten, given the situation. You had a one-on-one. You had a switch route. Throw it up to Samori Touré and just see what happens. And like, they could, they, they could have done something different. They probably should have done something different, but Adrian has that trust in Smory Torre, and the other piece of it that hasn't been there. Toure has produced, he's yeah. got big plays. He's, he's been downfield. He's had those moments. He had it against Northwestern. Adrian throws the ball up, just trusting that his guy is going to be the one that comes down with it. Torre adjusts as the ball is in the air. And instead of an interception, which it probably would have been an interception, it's a huge gain. Like that's, you know, that's, that's where they're at. And, you know, you, you, you look at Minnesota this weekend and <clears throat> they have, um, you know, they have a chance to once again show that, you know, hey, we are on the right track. And, you know, I guess what what the, the only thing that, that you can count on with this team is that probably all of this stuff is going to be rendered irrelevant on Saturday. And we're going to have to completely readjust and, and talk about, well, maybe, maybe it's time. But as things stand right now, you know, I think I, I think they're in. I think they're trending in the right direction, which is, which is why these losses continue to be hard.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I've, I am, I, once again, um, just fascinated by what's about to happen because I feel like each week is like fascinating theater to me because they're all must-win games in their own way. This is not a, this game against Minnesota is not like some marquee matchup but at the same time, like it's vitally important to Scott Frost in Nebraska, obviously to Nebraska season and bowl eligibility. But man, I think that this game would be the one if, the, if Nebraska lost this, particularly if they come out flat and lay an egg, it would, it would start a turn that would be hard to come back from. I think, um, and so it just makes there's just a lot there. But on the other hand, like you said, they, they come out and, you know, they could make things like render all of this moot by going out and blowing Minnesota out on the road and saying, okay, no, we really are. What are people calling them the best three and four team in the country? Um, they yeah, really could. Drake.
0: Drake pointed this out. Stop doing that. They're the, yeah, that they're the only point. three and four team in the country. <laughs> they're the best four loss team in the country. They're the only three and four team in the country. Yes, right they now.
1: are the only three and four team in the country. So yeah, that's a good point. And so maybe maybe they go show that, that they're the best four loss team in the country. Um, but we'll see, and that's why it's going to be so interesting. Uh, But every week we end the show with my favorite segment of the week called Put Them on Blast. We basically put someone on blast for something that they did or said. Put them on blast. Now, I'm actually going to go first on this one uh, because I I think this person fell through the cracks last week when I just honestly didn't know enough about what the situation was and like kind of how it was still ongoing. Um, And you'll know exactly where I'm going as soon as I say this name. Urban Meyer has to go on blast. You're smiling urban man what are you doing out here so in, in case you, you just happened to miss this urban meyer a couple of weeks ago now um or a week ago now it's probably been the longest week of his life um was caught like caught on video with a young lady not shelly shelly is his wife i believe meyer not his wife grinding on him at a restaurant it, now that if i just say that you're like, okay, he, he's, he's a professional football coach. You're just going to, we're going to look the other way, let that go. People aren't going to really actually be up that upset about this. But this thing just continues to take twists and turns where it goes from like weird to absurd. The first absurd thing about this is how in the world are he, people recording him in his own establishment? The restaurant at hand was his restaurant. It's like Urban Meyer's Pub and Grill or whatever. Like, number one. Number two, he's in a, <laughs> a very, like, nice quarter zip, Ohio State quarter zip. So, like, it's it's like a poster for him. Like, it's exactly what he would look like, and then we're recording him in his place. Okay, that, that's the next absurd thing. And then, as if this is not bad enough, that all of this is on camera, and that people seemingly dislike him so much that they're recording him in his own spot, he then decides that this is all too much and he's not going to fly home with the team. And then he compounds that by not having the meetings the next day with the team. He cancels the meeting saying that it was basically too much. Then he throws Trevor Lawrence under the bus and says, this is the kind of stuff I've warned Trevor about when he went to his uh, bachelor party in Vegas. Like, I, I don't understand. What, and there's probably been more stuff. What Urban Meyer, I think that was, there was a thing about him talking about, he thought that the leaders of the team would be able to handle this. No, you're the leader of the team. You're the one that's supposed to go ahead and fix this. I can't imagine that Jacksonville's lawyers aren't working to try to get them from up under this contract. Like Urban Meyer, like, I didn't think this was going to work after he had the missteps when he first got there, hiring the, uh, the... former disgraced Iowa strength coach and trying to slide that under the radar. Then they had the thing where they were illegally meeting. Like, I'm like, all right, this thing just isn't going to work at Jacksonville for him.
0: And he gave Tebow a spot. Yeah. I love, I I love Tim Tebow. I (laughs) love Tim Tebow, but I also saw him try to block as a tight end and he had no business having that spot.
1: Yes. So like for all of that, especially the stuff over the last weekend, Urban Meyer, you got to go on blast. Like it's utterly ridiculous. All of the
0: stuff that I just laid out about Urban Meyer. Like it's crazy. And the best part is the Jaguars owner put him on blast as well, (laughs) publicly (laughs) reprimanded him and said, you have to earn back everyone's trust. Yes. Yes.
1: Like just insane. I I can't, I cannot believe how poorly that's like, I can't believe how poorly it's going, but at the same time, help yourself out here, man. He's got no goodwill uh, in that locker room. They already didn't like him. They want to get rid of him. They being the players. Uh, So Derek, who are you putting on blast?
0: Can I do two? and I will do short ones because I need to do two. They're kind of, they're kind of connected. Go for it. Um, the Big Ten needs to figure out what the hell is going on with the officiating. I'm not somebody that is sitting here saying that Nebraska was robbed of that game. It was awful both ways. Right. It was awful both ways. And this continues to be an issue with Big Ten officiating. The, the, that it is a joke on Twitter, a running joke. Year over year, figure out what is going on. What we saw Saturday in the Nebraska-Michigan game in front of a primetime ABC audience was incompetence. Incompetence it was ridiculous. The other people, that, the other person that I want to put on blast is uh, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> what, what, what are we? What, what, what's the clapping thing? What are we doing with the clapping thing? Wait, stop. Coaches need to stop complaining about the clapping thing. And if there's a, a rule intent to deceive, get rid of it. People clap in a football game. Luke Reimer got flagged. What, what was what was the what was the term? Oh, uh, uh, it was disconcerting absurd. Disconcerting signals. Disconcerting signals. He was <laughs> clapping to get Chris Kalarovich's attention. Yes, Who, and then when it you, happened again later in the game. It so, happened two <laughs> plays later, and they didn't flag him for it because Nebraska's defense wasn't set. And they were getting set. And because clearly, if you look at their defense for more than three plays in a row, Luke Reimer is one of the guys that sets their defense. And you can see Luke Reimer clearly in the replay, looking at a guy and Chris Kolarovich who is not looking back at him, who's looking in the opposite direction. And he claps to get his attention. And you see Kolarovich turn his head and look back at him. And then Reimer tells him where to go. But that's a flag. That's that's intent to deceive disconcerting signals to the point where Jim Harbaugh is complaining about it. After the game, you won, you won. Stop. Don't do this. I like, I understand being upset with with some of the illegal formation stuff, too many guys in the backfield. That's, that's, that's kid league stuff that officials should see and call, but the clapping stuff has to stop. Like quit complaining about it. You're in a stadium with 90,000 people. Everyone is clapping. Every single person is clapping. I stood behind my wife and had her clap and I faced her. I closed my eyes and I faced her and had her clap. And then I turned around and faced the opposite direction and had her clap. I could tell where the clapping was coming from just spatially. I understand it's not a perfect metaphor because you're talking about dudes who are on a football field with 90,000 people surrounding them screaming. But guys, if clapping is going to cause your offensive line to false start, then change your cadence. Adrian Martinez steps out of whatever their little mini huddle is and steps in the line of scrimmage and claps 15 times. No one moves. If, if, if Luke Reimer clapping to get his teammates' attention is going to cause you to false start, that's your fault. It's not Luke Reimer's fault. And for Jim Harbaugh to go complain about it after the fact and there be no response to it, after Scott Frost was raked over the coals for doing the exact same thing after the Iowa game a year ago, what are we doing? What are we doing? Stop complaining about clapping. It's football. Everyone is clapping. It's going to happen. If you are worried about clapping, messing with your cadence, change your cadence. I I am.
1: It's, it's fine. It's fine. I, I feel like that the last time you were on here and you put old age on blast, I felt like that was one of the best blasts. Uh, you've now topped that one. I'm totally fine with that. I have nothing to add. Like, that's great. Like I, I, do, I do love your figuring it out spatially, um, I, which is true, um, but it's absolutely ridiculous that that continues to be a thing um, and that it's come up so often now it comes up all the time and it's ridiculous. And, um, it, I just don't understand why Harbaugh went so hard at that considering they won the game. But who we we could spend another hour trying to figure out the, the inner workings of Jim Harbaugh. Uh, so that will do it for today. Subscribe to the podcast everywhere you can listen to them. Rate us and leave us a five star review if you only leave four. I am inclined to think you're a hater, and nobody wants that. Make sure that you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast, Varsity Club with Derek Peterson, uh, the Nebraska Press Post Game Show, and the Hill Varsity Radio Show. Also check out the Hill Varsity YouTube page. You can get after us on Twitter at Greg Smith HB. And at Dr. PDHB, you can email the show at straight up breakdown at HaleVarsity.com. I will catch you next week. A Hood Media Production.